0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Matt Dean works through Chapter Nine in the Gospel of Luke in our series, so that you may know. Well, I want to welcome you to Grace Auburn, um, especially for those of you that are online this morning and part of our church family, but are at home. Just know that we miss you, uh, that we look forward to the day where we can all gather uh, comfortably and confidently in person. But if you're home this morning and you're watching, please know that our hearts are with you and that we are grateful that we get to be in this journey together. Um, If you're in the room this morning, um, what a gift to gather. Um, Not everyone is as fortunate to be able to gather in person, but we are this morning. And so as you turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 9, we're continuing in a series called So That You May Know. And we took that right from Luke's purpose in writing the gospel. Luke said, I'm writing this careful account of the life and ministry of Jesus, so that you may know. Luke says, so that you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught. And so that's not clever marketing. That's just looking at what Luke said, why he, why he wrote this. And he wrote this so that people that had heard of Jesus would know with confidence and clarity that these things are not only famous, but they are true. So I want you to have that same confidence this morning, that as we open the Bible, that this is not myth or fairy tale, but a a physician, a historian, painstakingly took a lot of effort and time by the power of the Holy Spirit to investigate the claims of Jesus so that in generations to come, people could look back and go, it's true. It's true. He is true. And so just as early churches had confidence, I want you to have the same confidence. This is true. And there is truth for you today that you and I both need. I want to just acknowledge and remind you that not everything you think And not everything you feel and not everything that you choose and not everything that you want is pure, right, and good. You have been affected by sin in every way. And so sometimes our emotions carry us away. Sometimes our thought life carries us away. All of us, myself included, we need to be renewed. We need to be transformed by the power of God's word this morning. So just in your heart today, would you invite God to change the way you think? Would you invite him to help you see the wonder of what Jesus has done more clearly this morning? That this would not just be listening, but that you would participate with the word of God and the presence of God and the people of God to be transformed into the image that he longs for us to be as his bride here on earth. So let's jump in this morning to Luke chapter 9. If you're just joining us last week, we were reminded that disease and death and distress and shame Stand no power against Jesus, that he, he conquers those things and he has conquered those things. But this morning we see a transition in the story because in the very first line, this is what it says. When Jesus had called the twelve together, the twelve apostles together, he gave them power and authority. That's a new thing. See, there's not just followers. He's giving them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And listen, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So that, that's a whole thought in and of itself, that he gathered the apostles around him and he said, okay, there's going to be a transference of authority here. I am now sending you. I'm sending you in my name and my strength with my authority to go and heal diseases. Remind you, these were tax collectors and fishermen. These are ordinary men that have now been commissioned by Jesus to drive out demons and cure diseases. And it says, He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, this next line is quite curious, and I want you to ask yourself the question what does following Jesus look like? And look at this next line. Jesus says to them, Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. And whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Isn't that interesting? I'm sending you to go with power and authority to drive out demons and heal diseases. And by the way, don't take anything. Go in my strength. Go in my power. Go in my authority. Two things are happening here, I think. One, he was teaching them to depend on the Father for everything. But two, he was also relying on Jewish hospitality because it was that custom that if they were entering into a Jewish home by culture, that home would be obligated to host them and host them well. And should they run into a home that does not host them well, they simply shake the dust off their feet and they move on. So he was speaking into the culture, but he was also speaking into their lives. When you go in my power and in my name, I want you not to take a thing with you and see what happens. Now, this, okay, this is a great example in Scripture and in Bible study where we go, okay, is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Do you hear the difference there? So does this mean that for us, we are to take no clothes and no bread and no money and, and hope for the best and trust God? Or does it describe something that is normative for all of our lives? And that is, are we also not to depend on him for everything? As we bear his name in his kingdom, are we not ultimately and eternally to trust in him? And in this situation, it describes a life of dependence. And here are these followers of Jesus that are newly commissioned to go drive out demons. And don't you think they would probably like, but Jesus, can't we take like a stick or something? to beat out a demon if they don't, you know, the, the point here is Jesus is pushing them to the edge to see that God will be faithful. And I can tell you as a testimony of God's faithfulness in my life, and I know the testimony of God's faithfulness in your lives, there are many times in this life on earth where all we have is him. There are many moments where we must trust in him. You are sitting in a building that has come about because people trusted in him. I'm standing on this former women's gym platform because I have trusted in God's power and provision in my life. My family, we have numerous times stepped out basically with no bread, no bag, no tunic, and we have repeatedly seen over and over again, God is faithful. You need to hear that today. If God is leading you into something in his kingdom, in his name, with his authority, you can, in fact, Trust him. If some of you are being called to go overseas and you're raising support and that's scary, he's faithful. If some of you are bound for another country literally this week and you're sad at what you may miss here, just know he's faithful. If you haven't set foot into this building or with another person since COVID, just know he's faithful. If you're in a broken situation and you have surrendered it to Him and trusted Him with that, He is faithful. And if you've asked Him for healing or hope or provision, just know He's faithful. And if it doesn't happen on earth, I assure you, healing and provision is yours eternally in Jesus. And we have to live with the tension. As I've shepherded people this week, I've been on the other line again with people that are weeping and sad and sorrowful and hurting, and broken, and confused. And the same thing I must say again and again as we look at God's word, as we remember God's faithfulness, he is faithful to a broken world and there has not been a global catastrophe, or a pandemic, or a disease, or a war, or a scandal, or a disappointment, or a transition of power, or a rising and falling kingdom. None of those things stand a chance against the unshakable kingdom of God. Jesus says nothing will stand in the way and I'm saying what Jesus said. Nothing will stand in the way. The gates of hell hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. So for those that are hopeful and hurting, let's continue to, just like these sent out, let's depend upon him for all that we need as we are image bearers of his kingdom here on earth. So these people, they, they, they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now, verse seven, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, and others that Elijah had appeared, and so others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? But Look at the last line, and he tried to see him. Now, some of us, we just read that and go, okay, great. Um, Herod, I, he beheaded John, and he, he wants to now see Jesus. But Turn your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 6. Because if you don't know this story, this is a great reminder of what guilt can do, of what bad decision-making can do. So look with me at Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. King Herod heard about these people going out and healing people, taking nothing but depending on him. They heard about this 12 going out and preaching that people should repent and driving out demons. And look at verse 14. Now King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said, no, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. Verse 17, here's the context. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this. Here's where the story gets very interesting and sad. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Herod had stolen his brother's wife. He'd stolen his brother's wife, but watch what unfolds. Verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you, to have your brother's wife. John the Baptist is calling Herod out in his sin and in his immorality. What happens to people when they get called out? They don't like it. You don't like it, and neither do I, and neither did Herod. And look at what happens. John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Here's a guilty man who stole his brother's wife, who could still recognize holiness and righteousness in the kingdom of God. Do you hear that this morning? Here's a guilty sinner caught in a scandal who nevertheless can recognize the righteousness and power of Jesus. And look at what happens. He's protecting him. But when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. If you're under the weight of guilt this morning, but you're here, or you're listening, or you're watching, and you're you're guilty but drawn in, stick with it. If you're guilty but being drawn in, keep moving towards what is light and right and true. Keep moving into that because there is only one that can relieve you from the guilt of your sin His name is Jesus. So it says that Herod liked to listen to John the Baptist. And what was John's message? Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent, for the Holy One of Israel is here. So here's John's message. He's calling Herod out in his sin. And then verse 21, this plays out like a movie. For the opportune time came, and on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for the high officials and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And as he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Look at the next line. She went out and talked to her mom. Who was her mom? She was the one complicit in that wrong relationship. Mom, what should I ask for? And mom says, the head of John the Baptist. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request, King, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he had immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in the prison, And brought back his head on a platter, and he presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's what guilt can do. That's the power of guilt. And when you're stuck in a bad situation, and you don't stand before a holy God and confess it as such, then guilt can drive us to make more and more bad decisions. Flip back as we're back in Luke, as we see what this happens here. So the same story happens in Mark. After John is beheaded, we see that Herod is wanting to see Jesus. But look at this next story. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and I love this, and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and helped those who needed healing. Just don't let that pass you by. There's a crowd of people going, something's got to change. Can you do it? I'm broken and hurting. Can you heal me? And here is Jesus, the image of the invisible God here on earth, and he's caring for those who needed healing. And late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And Jesus said, well, you give them you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And unless we go buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. Now, it doesn't mean that women weren't there. It just means they counted the head of men. So there are also women and children there. And I don't know the exact number, but let's say roughly 10, 12,000 people there with five loaves and two fish. In another gospel account of this situation, um, there's a little boy whose lunch gets hijacked. And, and I like to think that this little boy, as his lunch was taken by the followers of Jesus, was like, but why are you taking my, my lunch? You know. But I also like to think that that little boy's offering in the hands of God fed a multitude. What, what do we need to hear? That you're offering, that your loaves and your fish in the hands of God can do amazing things, every one of us. And whatever it is that you're offering to God, he can multiply and magnify. So what it is that you need to offer to him to see this happen? In addition to the resurrection, this story of the 5,000 feeding is the only, they're the only two stories that appear in the same order in all four Gospels. And as Luke is writing this, this is very important for us to see. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. That's a lot of groups. That's a, I'm not great at math, but I know 50 into 5,000 plus women and children. That's, that's a lot of community groups, if you will. The disciples did so. And everybody sat down. You know that took some time, right? You know that 5,000 people seated in groups of 50. That's going to take some moments. And then it says they took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up from heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. That remind you of anything? On the night he was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke bread and said. So here, listen to the Parallels. And then he gave them to disciples to set before the people. Look at the next line. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. What happens when God moves? It's not just that he somewhat blesses, he blesses abundantly. It's not just that he wants to give sparingly. But when God blesses, he blesses abundantly. And when God blesses, people are satisfied? And I just want to ask you this morning, are you satisfied with the right things? Are you asking God to bless you with the right things? And is your life surrendered like a little boy's lunch saying, would you satisfy the longing of my heart? Would you multiply and magnify what I'm offering to you so that my heart may be satisfied, that I could stand back and see what you have done? It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, hey, who do the crowds say that I am? Who, who? Jesus says, who do all the people, what do they say about me? Who do they say I am? And the, the disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, still others, that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. But then Jesus narrows the focus of the camera lens, if you will. He says, first, what does the crowd say? But then he says, but what does it that you say? And Peter answered, the Messiah of God, the Christ of God of God. Now this is where the plot begins to thicken. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Why? Because Jesus knew Jerusalem was coming. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. You can imagine how troubling. they, They just saw a miracle of provision. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah of God, the promised one, the holy one, the saving one, the one who will deliver. I'm gonna tell you something. I must suffer and be killed. Look at the next line. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Or whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. I want to go back to a couple of those lines this morning as we try to apply the Word of God to our lives. Sometimes when we think about denying ourselves and picking up this cross, we see it as some public skeptical, spectacle or some, some, some real clear, but it's a slow burn for many of us. I hope for all of us, actually. Because the blaze of glory often comes in surprise. And no one signs up to be executed or persecuted. No one signs up for a horrible diagnosis that will terminate life rapidly. The best case for our comfort as creatures is a slow burn. With the trajectory of our anticipated lifespan and following Jesus, we daily pick up our cross and follow him. But if you're wrestling, what what does picking up the cross mean? Well, what does the cross mean? forgiven, so forgiving. What does the cross mean? Death is conquered, so we live in resurrection life. What does the cross mean? That God has a plan in time and space and history, so we trust in him. And as we think about picking up this cross, what does the cross have in our lives? It has authority. It speaks that better word over us, forgiven, child. You belong to me. So picking up the cross daily and denying ourselves is a slow burn for most of us. And I pray that as you pick up the cross and deny yourself, you'll extend grace and mercy to those that need it. You will walk in purity and holiness, as God calls us to. You will live in that abundant, abiding life and bear much fruit. That's what it looks like to deny ourselves and pick up the cross. It means being faithful to your spouse, it means being faithful in your job, it means being loving as a parent, and it means to people that find themselves in painful situations to forgive your spouse and to forgive your employer and to forgive your parent. It means it's a two-sided street where we are to be forgiven and forgiving. We are to be loving and to be loved. We're to walk in that dual idea that we all are recipients Rightfully so, of the wrath of God. And Jesus, our shield and defender, stands ready to say, You are forgiven and free. And that's part of what it means to pick up the cross and to deny our flesh, to deny our natural human desires, and to step in to an obedient life by the power of the Holy Spirit because of His grace at work in us. Now, this next story, I don't know how many of you have read this, but this story. Uh, is powerful and unusual, and Luke wants us to know this because it has meaning and historicity in this, but I took great comfort this week as I was reading commentary. One well-respected, world-famous theologian says, I tremble when it comes to this passage of Scripture, and every pastor I know does not really know how to preach this pastor, nor does he, nor does I. Nor does I? That's how bad. I don't know this thing. Okay, But I'm just going to read it and draw some parallels because the reality is this is unbelievable. But yet we believe it. This is incredible. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Now that's, I get that. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Matthew says that the face of Jesus looked like a burning sun. Now, okay. So as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Mark says his clothes were so bright, nothing could bleach it out. That's how bright it was. So two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now here are Peter, James, John, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Something happened. Something substantial in time and space just happened in addition to the face of Jesus shining like the sun and his clothes brightly shining. And they spoke about his departure. The Greek word is Exodus. Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus, Peter, James, and John about what is to come. What lies ahead in Jerusalem? And they spoke about his departure, which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, One for Elijah. Peter did not know what he was saying. But while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid, understandably, as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. The audible voice of God happens three times in the New Testament. It happens here at the Transfiguration. It happens at the baptism of Jesus. And it happens in John where the Father says, I have glorified your name and I will glorify it again. Three times the audible voice of God. And here it is when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves themselves, and told no one at the time what they had seen. Remember back in Exodus 34? Where Moses saw the glory of God and his face was shining. Remember that story? If you don't, you can go back and look at it Exodus 34. But when Moses' face was shining, it was a reflection. Right? When his face was shining, it was a reflection of the glory of God. This was no reflection. This was the glory of God. And the word says that those who looked at him, their faces are radiant, but when your face is actually radiant, when it's the radiance of God's glory, that's a whole nother thing. That's what happens in this story. Now I just wanna remind you of something of the beauty of scripture because Peter and John were there. Peter and John were there and they saw the glory of God. And they saw the glory of God and it left such an impression upon them that their lives were never the same. So if you go to John chapter 1, just look at the first line. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But look at the next line. We have seen his glory. I've not heard about it not saw someone that saw someone that saw it. John said, we have seen his glory. And Peter, if you look at Peter, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Peter is encouraging the early church to make their calling sure, to, to add to their lives goodness. He's, he's encouraging them to add to their lives kindness and love. He is encouraging this early church. This is what it means to follow Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, this is what it says. So I will always remind you of these things. This is Peter, the idiot disciple, talking. He's like, I'm reminding you of these things, that even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon... Put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Here's Peter's heart. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What a great pastor. He's saying, please don't forget these important things of following Jesus. And then look at the next line. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty on that mountain for he received honor and glory from God. And the father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Look at the last line. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. John and Peter, they they heard it. They saw the glory of God. And their lives were never the same afterwards. Continuing on in Luke 9, it says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And Jesus responds, O believing and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Uh, You can read that and say how long, or you can read that and see, bring your son. He says both. You can see in the humanity of Jesus, he sees brokenness all around but in the divinity of Jesus, you can see him saying, Bring your son. I just want to remind you the day before, right, the glory of God was shining through the face of Jesus, and his clothes were bright white. And the next day, here he is again, having been reminded with Moses and Elijah, having been reminded. One commentator says that, that the, the transfiguration could be in part so that Moses and Elijah could come alongside Jesus and say, your death, what's going to happen on the cross in Jerusalem? One, this is just speculation, but that Moses and Elijah, along with Peter, James, and John, and the voice of the Father, went to comfort and encourage Jesus for the cross that lay before him. So with the cross in mind, in Jesus' mind, you've got to know that when he sees the brokenness around and he knows his destiny of death on the cross and he sees a demon-possessed boy convulsing and foaming at the mouth, of course he would ask the question, how long? But don't you love the response? Bring your son. And it says, even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But once again we see that in the battle of good versus evil, there is no battle against evil It says, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. (laughs) Don't you love that? Privately on a mountain, the glory of God broke through. But in some village street where a demon-possessed boy was here, healed, all were amazed again at the glory of God. Luke is now setting the stage. He's setting the stage, and Jesus is turning his eyes towards Jerusalem because he knows what is before him. And it says, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Listen carefully. But they did not understand what this meant for it was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. We're gonna see from this point forward And Luke's gospel that Jesus is taking step by step by step to the cross. Why? Because for the joy set before him, he knew what was coming. He knew you. He knew me. He was determined in obedience to walk this road that the Father had called him to. As I've wrestled with this passage this week and um, the joy and the pain of people in our community the Lord has brought this passage to mind and we're gonna close with this this morning and I hope you'll be comforted by this as well. Second Corinthians chapter four. And I just wanna read this to you just as a reminder of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And if you're having a great time of life, what it looks like to be an agent of ministry of Jesus. And if you are just hurting and broken and in a really difficult spot, I, I pray this would comfort you as well. But this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's writing this to a church, and this church was in a broken, horrible, idolatrous place. This church was in a city filled with sin and grief and heartache, and therefore that church was filled with people that were surrounded by sin and grief and heartache. And with that heartbeat in mind, this is what he says to this early church. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting the forth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Look at this next line. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Here are the last lines. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's the application. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Would you pray with me this morning? Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church.